Who among you is wise? James 3.13 and understanding. Let, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. May he write his word on our hearts. You may be seated. Who among you is wise? I got to kind of take a peek in in an opening to the book of Proverbs done by Dr. Frank Turek. And he was talking about how in our modern generation, we have access to more information than any generation that the world has ever known. And the, the means by which we have access to that information is really two things. It's the internet, which has come along in the last couple of decades, and our iPhones or our phones. And perhaps this has happened to you even this, in this last week. You're having a conversation with somebody. Maybe a movie comes up. Maybe an actor. Maybe you're trying to define a word. And you're like, what, what does that word really mean? Or where did that word come from? And somebody in your group says, aha, I know how we can find out. And what do they do? They talk to the little lady in the phone, right? And they say, uh, where did this come from? And all of a sudden, Ah, this is what I found. The following information has come up on this, right? And, and we have access to information. We have access to theological information. We have access to Greek and Hebrew definitions. It used to be, uh, when I first started in the ministry, if I wanted to find uh, a definition of a word, I took out my, how many of you remember this huge Strong's Concordance, right? The thing weighed more than my dog, and, and you would take this thing out and it was, the, the print is so small, nobody could see it. And then you try to locate this word and then you try to find a train of thought with this word. Or I, I often would have seven to ten books out on a desk and I would handwrite my sermons. And I would write each verse that I would reference, you know, as a cross-reference in the sermon. Well, that, those times are no more. Now we have computer Bible programs. At first, I didn't trust computer Bible programs. It was, it was weird. I was like, is this really the Bible? Is this really? And then, you know, they're great tools, access to all kinds of information. We have accessible information, but here's the question. Are we any smarter? I don't know. Information, you know, they say that uh, knowledge is power, but I would beg to differ. Because knowledge in and of itself is not power. Knowledge applied is power. If you just have intellectual knowledge of something and you don't do anything with it, that's not power. All it is is you know something, but if you don't do something with the knowledge that you have, it's useless. In fact, it might even be counterproductive. So when the Bible talks about wisdom, and that's what we're looking at, who among you is wise, 
It's talking about applying knowledge. In the Jewish mind, this is what wisdom was. Wisdom was a way of life. It wasn't just that you had intellectual smarts, that you had book knowledge, as it were. Wisdom was measured in the way that you live. If you're a note taker, that's an extremely important point. Wisdom was measured in the way that you live. Some of you can reflect on maybe a great-grandparent, a grandparent, mom or dad, sibling, friend, and the impact maybe of a coach, teacher. Wouldn't you agree that these, the people have had the greatest impact on us? It's not necessarily a little nugget they gave us. It could be that. It could be like a word of wisdom and a conversation. But wouldn't you say the biggest impact has been watching somebody live the example that they've set, the work ethic that they have, the way that they've been true to a commitment, that kind of thing. That's the power of a life well lived. That's where we all want to get, right? That's where we all want to have that stride. We want to walk wisely because, you know, this, this thing called life, we get to do it once and we want to do it well. And as Christians, or maybe you're new to the faith, or maybe you're a prodigal and you're just trying to get back home, right? We all want to find that place where we're living well, where we're living wisely. Well, in the book of James, there were people who were making all kinds of professions. People were saying, I'm religious. And James says, you can say you're religious, but if you don't bridle your tongue, if you don't help orphans and widows in their distress, then I'm not sure what good your religion is. Or the second category was in chapter 2. A man can say, a woman can say they have faith, but if a brother or sister is in need of daily food or clothing and they come up to you and they ask for help and you say be warmed and be filled and you don't meet the need, the legitimate need, James says, what use is that? What use is it if a man says he has faith but he has no works? That was chapter 2. And then into chapter 3, we have this treatise of the tongue, right? And uh, Marie came to me in the courtyard and said, she said, and I think this is picturesque, Marie. She said, there's a lot of blood all over the sanctuary today. Bunch of tongues bleeding. It's true, man. Every one of us. That sermon last Sunday was for every one of us. You know how sometimes people will come up and they'll, they'll say to a pastor, you know, that sermon was for me today, Pastor Michael. Well, last Sunday, it was for everybody. Because we've all made mistakes with this little instrument called the tongue. Oh, we want to do things right, but we, it's hard to tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who are made in His image. And then James says, this is not how... You can almost hear James saying it in a Jewish way. It's not the way it ought to be. Right? Oy. And now, as James closes chapter 3, what we know is chapter 3, he gives a very penetrating question because here's the other category. There were people in the congregation, maybe the teachers addressed in James 3.1, who were claiming to be wise. They were making a claim to wisdom. And James says, Who among you is wise? Sophos is the Greek word. Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. Who among you is wise? Okay, you're going to make a claim to wisdom. Here's the third category. You say you're religious. You say you have faith. You say you're wise. And there are people 
who will tell you all day long about their wisdom. All you got to do is listen, right? They'll tell you how wise they are. But the question is, what is wisdom? James says, who among you is wise and understanding? I think it's a question. It's a question for all of us, but it's also a challenge. Let him what? Let him show, let, let him show it, just like he said, show your faith by your works. Let him show that wisdom by his good behavior. The word here in the original language is his manner of life, his conduct, by the way he or she lives. His deeds, notice something that he said earlier, his deeds or works, in the gentleness of wisdom. Who among you, could I apply it to us this morning, who among you is wise? I know there's a lot of wise people in this congregation. Let him show it. If I ask for a, a hands to go up, who among you is wise? We might say, me, Pastor Michael, me, me, I'm wise. <laughs> How many of you remember back in school when the teacher would ask a question and that one student was always the way, oh, 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 let me, oh, 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 oh. Anybody else want to answer the question? <laughs> well, James's challenge, I think, is a good challenge. Am I wise? Do I live out my, my faith? What is wisdom, you may ask? A.T. Robertson says, wisdom is the practical use of knowledge. Ralph Martin says, the Jewish, to the Jewish mind, wisdom meant practical righteousness in everyday living. In James 1.22, the theme verse of the book, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. When Paul was up on, in uh, Athens, up on the Areopagus, there were people who sat there every day and they loved to listen to philosophy. They loved philosophical concepts and constructs. And men love philosophy because they can sit in academia. They can sit in a classroom all day long and they can talk philosophy. And philosophy isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's really you know, how you look at life, how you look at the world. But the question is, does your philosophy actually work in everyday life? Is it working in your home? Is it working in your business? Is it working in your family? Is it making you what the Bible would say, truly prosperous? I'm not talking about the word faith nonsense. I'm talking about a person of well-being. In the Jewish mind, a person of shalom, a person who is well from the bottom of their feet to the top of their head, a person who lives wisely, a person who gets the right amount of rest, has healthy boundaries, spends time in God's word, is committed to their marriage and family, dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blanks. Is using their gifts unto God's glory, knows their spiritual gift and engages it. This is what life is about. It's not about talking a good game. It's about actually living your values. And of course, that is where the real rub is, isn't it? That's the question. Moses, a wise man, of course, of his time said, Teach us, Psalm 90, verse 12, to number our days that we may present to you, God, a heart of wisdom. The Hebrew concept of wisdom is interesting. It has the idea to divide. The Hebrew words mean to divide it speaks of anointing, and it has this, this concept. The Hebrew word for wisdom means to be able to divide between what is man's wisdom and God's wisdom, and then choose God's wisdom. Wouldn't you say that that's really it, right? We have man's so-called wisdom. We have God's wisdom. We want to choose God's wisdom and then live by that. 
So knowledge is important. It's an important concept. You've got to learn God's word. And if you don't know things, it's hard to apply what you don't know. So you got to learn. Learning is part of it. This is part of it, right? We get into God's word. We want to learn. But learning is not the end. It's the doing that really matters. And as we said in an earlier message in James chapter 1, that's where most of us fail. So an outline, what does wisdom look like? That's the opening question. A summation, James will reveal that positive and negative aspects of this question. On the positive, he will say wisdom has good deeds done in humility, verse 13. On the negative side, it will, it will uh, not have uh, jealousy or selfish ambition. That's verse 14. In fact, if, that's, if it's God's wisdom, uh, it, will, it will have fruits. We'll see later on in the chapter. But if it's man's wisdom, it could even be earthly. It can be demonic. In verse 17, we'll see the beautiful fruits of good wisdom. And then we'll see uh, what kind of seeds are you planting in verse 18. Are they seeds of righteousness? Are they seeds of peace? Are you making a difference in other people's lives? Is the Holy Spirit moving powerfully in your life to impact others? I want to show you a proverb. It's, uh, you got Psalms and then Proverbs. Go ahead and find Proverbs chapter 4. The book of James has been called the New Testament book of Proverbs because it's filled with practical wisdom. Of course, we have an Old Testament book of Proverbs. And in chapter 4, and by the way, for you men, we are studying Proverbs uh, by topic on Thursday mornings at uh, a local restaurant. You can find out more on the app. If you're available on a Thursday morning at 9 a.m., come on out. It's a, it's a great study. This is Proverbs 4. Look at verse 4. Proverbs 4, verse 4. This is a father's wisdom to a son. Then he taught me, Proverbs 4, 4, and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Acquire wisdom, Proverbs 4, 5. Acquire understanding. That's how James opened three, chapter 3, verse 13. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is being personified in the feminine here. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Prize her, verse 8, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I've directed you in the way of wisdom. I've led you in upright paths. Notice that wisdom is a way. It's a path. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, verse 12. If you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. You know, there are so many Proverbs I can show you, uh, and we won't go there uh, this morning, that are just like that. Basically saying, if you could turn back to the book of James, if you'll live out wisdom, if you'll live out God's word, you will have a blessed life. Things won't be perfect, but they will be blessed. And so here's the question. Are you getting your wisdom from above or below? In Jesus, Colossians 2.3 says, are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want to understand what a life of wisdom looks like, just read the Gospels. And just watch Jesus in action. He was wisdom 
embodied. Within Jesus Christ is hidden all, not some, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So watch him interact with people. Watch how he prays. Watch how he takes time for rest. Watch how he speaks words of grace and life. Watch how he's willing to touch outcasts and do things that are surprising to the religious folk. That's, that's really how we understand wisdom. In Isaiah 50, verse 4, there's a beautiful, uh, what's called a soliloquy of the Messiah. And it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, speaking of Jesus, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned or to hear as the wise. Daniel is celebrated as a wise man in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, as one of uh, a few really very wise men that are uh, laid out to us in Scripture. In Daniel 12.3, Daniel writes, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But the Apostle Paul does ask, where is the wise man? Where is the debater of this age? Sometimes I look around and I say, we've got more information than we've ever had but as far as the wisdom barometer is concerned, I don't know if there's a whole lot of wisdom. We've got information overload, but we've got a lot of lonely people, a lot of desperate people, a lot of people who don't not know even how to navigate the basic things of their life. So you could say that true wisdom begins when we recognize even our own ignorance of these things. I heard the story of a man who bought a yacht. His wife was nervous because he had no experience in sailing, but he knew he could handle it. So for weeks he practiced in the harbor before taking it out to sea. Finally, he talked his nervous wife into going out on the yacht with him. Gingerly, she stepped aboard. Out into the harbor they headed, and he tried to put her at ease. He said, he said honey, look, I practiced enough in the harbor to know where every rock, every reef, every sandbar is. I know it all. At that very moment, a huge hidden rock beneath the surface, surface made a large crunching sound from the stem to the stern. He said, there, with a sheepish grin, there's one of them going by right now. <laughs> I found another one. Sometimes we just get scraped by things, right? And we learn. We all know that we learn from our mistakes. Sometimes our biggest mistakes can become a pathway for healing and even ministry. And so don't give up on yourself if you've made an error or you've scraped the bottom of your vessel, as it were. There's hope to keep moving in the right direction, to have wisdom Jeremiah 8, 9 says, The wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah 9.24, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. In Hebrew thought, wisdom is very relational. 
Wisdom has to do with an intimate connection with God. If you're going to be a wise person, it's because you know the Lord. You understand him with your mind, but you also know him. You know him. If you want to be wise, it's about knowing the ultimate fountain of wisdom, not the broken cisterns of the world. It's walking in the Spirit. It is living out the priorities of heaven. Who is wise and understanding among you? James 3.13 in the NIV. Let him show it. By his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, wisdom is expressed in humility. Because when we understand who God is and we understand who we are, we understand how little we actually know. Amen? Sometimes you'll talk to a person and you'll say, Do you believe in God? No, I'm an atheist. Okay? On what basis have you become an atheist? On my vast knowledge of the universe. And I'm 18 now. I've got a lot of things. I've learned quite a bit. (laughs) And you're like, "How how much of the knowledge in the universe do you think that you possess at this very moment? The vast universe. How much of that knowledge do you think you have? What percentage would you give to it? It might be under 1%. It might be like a little, 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 little number under 1%, right? So that could there be some, some wisdom in the universe somewhere that you don't know about yet? Well, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, there is. See, wisdom says we got to keep operating in humility. My boy said the store owner to his new employee, wisdom and integrity are essential to the retail business. By integrity, I mean if you promise a customer something, you have to keep that promise, even if that means we lose money. And what, asked the teenager, is wisdom? That, answered the boss, is not making any stupid promises. (laughs) So we don't lose any money, right? How many of you have learned in business that if you can... um, not over-promise, but maybe you, you pad things a little and you can over-deliver. Maybe you're ahead of schedule by one day. Uh, then the customer's happy. you got to be careful. You don't make promises that you can't keep, right? Oh, we'll have that for you tomorrow. Sure, it'll be no problem. This is what salesmen and companies are famous for, right? They over-promise and then the production guy gets the, the job, right? <laughs> How are we going to do it? You're going to print it by tomorrow because I'm not doing it. That's when we know we have some trouble. Understanding appears only here in the New Testament, carries the idea of specialized knowledge, such as that of a highly skilled tradesman or professional who is wise and understanding among you. We know wisdom. Understanding is that which is uh, intelligence, experienced, one having precise or expert knowledge. Isn't it amazing to watch someone who's an expert in a field Someone who's done something their whole life, they know it so well, you're like in awe at how well they can do something. Or you watch an athlete who's played a sport for many years and they're just so good. And then you find out that some of the best athletes that we admire are the ones the earliest in the gym. They're shooting all the time. They're practicing. Even though they've got God-given talent, they've become so good. If you watch the NBA playoffs, some of the shots by Steph Curry unbelievable on his back foot from 30 feet splashing three-pointers it's like hey that doesn't come automatically that comes from a lot of hard work 
And I'm glad to say that Steph Curry is also a Christian, so I'm sure the Lord's blessing those three-pointers as they're launched into the air. Don't, don't you think sometimes the Lord does that? I don't know. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding, it is be better, it is to be chosen above silver. Proverbs 16, 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who watches his way preserves his life. The wise in heart will be called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So we can see this humility, this wisdom that we need. But then there's a but, and this is verse 14, James 3. But if you have bitter jealousy, this is the opposite of wisdom, right? And selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant. Arrogance, opposite of humility. And so lie against the truth. NIV, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. There were some people who were saying they were wise, but they were bitter. And since James is addressing a church, and potentially even at the head of his list are teachers in the church, we can see the problem. And this is an age-old problem. Oftentimes in the place of the redeemed community where there should be humility and love and all those things that we would celebrate as the body of Christ, we find sometimes that people are jockeying for positions, gossiping, selfishly ambitious to the uh, destruction of others. And sadly, James has to address this because this was going on. People were bitter towards one another. They had selfish ambition and it was pushing them forward, and they were stepping on one another. They were bitter towards each other. Picross is the word for bitter. It has the basic meaning of pointed, sharp, prickly, or even pungent. Maybe you know somebody, you work with somebody who's just a bitter person. It's hard to be around a person like that. Because when they're bitter at everything, their bitterness ends up, the prickly stuff ends up hitting into you. It just stinks. And that's really the Greek word. It's pungent. And this was going on. There was bitter jealous, jealousy or literally harsh zeal. Bitterness cuts both ways. It will likely hurt the object it is directed at, but it will always cut you up and eat you up as well. Are you a bitter person? Maybe you have reasons, you know. Maybe you've been hurt on multiple occasions. Understandable. But that bitterness is just going to hurt you and others around you. And so it cuts both ways. It's not bad to be zealous about something, but when your zeal turns into partisanship, which is kind of what this Greek word is getting at, selfish ambition uh, is a word that was used for partisan zeal of factional, greedy politicians. I'm so sick of it, I can't even tell you. The ads that play you know, prior to an election... And, you know, the, the negative ads that are run against this person, you know, there's a positive ad and, you know, the person has to come on the television, I am so-and-so and I approve this ad. And then the, their, their person running against them, you know, it's a dark picture. Usually they have a funny face, you know. <laughs> so-and-so was an evil politician. You won't believe what he did, but he was taking kickbacks from... And you're like, oh, wow, that person, wow. 
And they're effective ads. And they're meant to do one thing. They're meant to really slam and, and paint somebody a certain way. And then the bright, shiny picture of the politician who wants to win, who did that terrible ad against that person, comes on in shining, glowing. Ah, vote for. Ah. And you know that ah, over here is as dirty as the other person. And, you know, then you hear about money that's sent over here so this person can win so that the other person can be in a better position. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this is just, it, it can be an ugly world, man. Really ugly. This attitude is really, I'm going to push myself to the top no matter what it takes no matter what I have to say, what I have to do, nothing is going to stop me. I will do whatever it takes. The story is told of two men who lived in a certain city. One was envious and the other covetous. The ruler of the city sent for them and said he wanted to grant them one wish each with this stipulation, that the one who chose first would get exactly what he asked for, while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. The envious man was ordered to choose first, but immediately found himself in a quandary. He wanted to choose something great for himself, but realized that if he did so, the other man would get twice as much, and Mr. Envious could not handle that. So he thought for a while, and then he asked that one of his eyes be plucked out. You'll get that in a moment. Because the other guy would get twice as much. And so by you... Take one of my eyes because then he'll lose two. <laughs> what? But you still lost one. Yeah, but he lost two. <laughs> yeah, but you lost one. And there are people who wake up every morning in our world and that's how they operate. And it's sad. And James, as he addresses the church, says, Brethren, this wisdom, verse 15, this kind of wisdom that I just talked about is not that which comes down from heaven or comes down from above. That kind of wisdom is earthly, natural, and de demonic. Bible students, just write down, it's the world, earthly, the flesh, natural, the devil, demonic. See, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And one of the great gifts that he gives to his people is wisdom. But the wisdom James just talked about is not of God. That's not God's way. That wisdom, if you live in that world, if that's you, it's earthly, it's natural, it's the opposite of spiritual, and it's even demonic. This is the business of Satan. To get people to destroy one another in their home, in their church, in their business, in their friendships. This is what he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. There are doctrines of demons. There are teachings that flow down from the pit. They flow up, if you will. There are those who hold to a form of godliness, but they've denied its power Avoid such men as these. It's like Peter, when he gave that great confession and then 
He spoke that Jesus should not go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not interested in God's interest, but what? Man's. That's worldly wisdom. That's philosophy that can take you captive because it can promise something now. Here you go. Here's your pot of gold. But what, what is it going to cost you to get there? If you get there the right way, you'll be content and you'll have harmony. And so Satan's self-interest, back in the book of Isaiah, I will, I will, I will, I will, is what sent him falling from heaven to earth. All-consuming pride took a beautiful, likely archangel and made him the epitome of evil. He ruined himself. And now all he can do is attempt to take others down with him. And if one is not careful, that's what we can do as well. There are people who have gotten to a point in their life that's, that's all they're about. Who can I take down next? For where jealousy, 16, and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Notice, jealousy and selfish ambition are at the heart of the verse, and the fruit of what happens here is disorder. Interesting Greek word. It speaks of instability. It speaks of disturbance, confusion, tumult, disarray, revolution, anarchy, chaos. Satan is the king of chaos. He loves it. He loves when life is chaotic, when people don't understand anything about what it means to rest, to have the, the idea of uh, Shabbat in their heart, not as a legal thing, but as resting in Jesus and having some time with family and, and slowing down a little bit. He loves the chaotic pace where he can just keep you so distracted you can't even think about eternity. You can't think about transcendence. You can't think about what really matters. And so here is the confusion, conflicts, crimes, battles, wars of the world. They're all evidence of this human wisdom. What's at, the, what's at the heart of war? What's it about? I want that land. I want that power. I don't like the fact that they have that over there. I want that. Wars, which quarrels, we'll talk about in James 4, if you decide to come back. <laughs> Some of you are saying, man, the book of James, ouch. Yeah, I know. But it's only five chapters. You'll be all right. <laughs> so it leads into chapter four where there's quarrels and conflicts. And what's at the heart of it? Oh, it's, it's lust. It's ambition, but all the wrong ambition. It's not wrong to be ambitious, but do it for the right reasons and for, with the right end in mind. Now, you need a respite from the negative. Here's the positive. But, verse 17, the wisdom from above, that is heaven's wisdom, is, uh, you could say there's seven things here because one of them is combined. The wisdom from above is first pure. Many uh, commentators believe purity is kind of the trunk of the tree and then everything flows from that because it's connected to holiness. The wisdom from above, from heaven, is first pure. Then it's peaceable. This is what a wise person looks like. So everybody just kind of think for a second. James is now going to tell you what a wise life looks like. Okay, this is, this is kind of, if you need, if you're a bullet point person and you need seven things to kind of look at, here it is. 
If you're a wise person, the wisdom from above is purity. It's peaceable, peace-loving. It's gentle. That's an idea of considerate. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable person. It's full of mercy and good fruits. That could be taken as a combination. It's unwavering or impartial. And it is sincere or it is without hypocrisy. Seven things of a wise life. Let me give just some quick definitions of these seven words. Hagnos, pure, carries the idea of being free from contamination or defilement. Daniel, in Daniel 1, said he had, he had purposed in his heart not to defile himself at the king's table. He had made a decision. He had purposed in his heart to be pure. Have you? If purity is indeed the trunk of the tree from which these other fruits of wisdom flow, then you have to make a commitment to be pure, which is another word for holiness. And in our world, we know what's beaten at that. Everything, right? To guard your eyes and your heart. This refers to spiritual integrity and moral purity and sincerity. It's a word that's connect to holiness. And so pure wisdom is holy wisdom. It's a holy life. It's being set apart unto God for what he desires of you. Second, the second fruit of wisdom is peaceable. This is a peace-loving or a peaceful person. According to uh, Old Testament wisdom in Proverbs 3.17, wisdom produces peace. This is a person full of shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. Full of well-being. This is a peacemaker. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. This is a person who doesn't stir the pot. A person who has so much of the shalom of the Spirit that they spread peace to others. They calm people down. It'll be all right. Calm down. We're good. We'll be okay, right? If you have a person in your life like that, thank God for that person. An arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Proverbs 28, 25, and 26. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Romans 12, 18. Sometimes some people don't want to be at peace with you, but as much as it depends on you, we're to be a person of peace. The third sweet fruit of godly wisdom is gentleness. It's a Greek word that means a person who's equitable, seemly, fitting, fair, moderate, forbearing, courteous, and considerate. This person will go out of their way by God's grace to be charitable even when wronged. They are an equitable person. They are a fair-minded person. Fourth fruit of godly wisdom is they are reasonable or reasonableness. Matthew Arnold calls it sweet reasonableness. This is a person who's willing to yield. They will give deference to others, not on moral principles or theological essentials, but they are not into rancor or disputing. They are teachable, compliant, not stubborn. The NIV actually has it as they are submissive. It's used of a man who willingly submitted to, a, to military discipline, <clears throat> accepting and complying with whatever was demanded of him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The fifth 
fruit of godly wisdom is a person who's full of mercy rather than full of bitterness. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, Matthew 5, 7. Do you know someone who is full of mercy? Someone who is compassionate? Someone who, even in the face of the worst of the worst, can find a way to find compassion and mercy? Jesus says that's, that's what God desires is mercy and compassion. That's something that biblical wisdom carries out. It's compassion in action. The sixth fruit, which is part of the fifth, is they're full of good fruits. They have a bounty or basket full of fruits. That is, everywhere you look, there are people that have been touched by their life and their wisdom. There's a whole basket of people who have benefited from their godly wisdom. And then finally, this wise person, the fruits of the wise, they're unwavering. The Greek word is used only here in the New Testament. It means a person who's not parted or divided. It's a person without uncertainty or inconsistency. It's a person who doesn't vacillate or is not filled with doubtfulness. The NIV has it as a person impartial. They are, they are not a vacillator. They're consistent. They don't change their stance depending on the company or the crowd or the conditions or which way the moral winds blow. The New English Bible says they are straightforward. They, they, what you see is what you get, and what you get is pretty good. And finally, it's without hypocrisy. It's a person who's sincere. There's no wax, no mask. It's genuine, Mayer says, without pretense. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for being hypocrites. But when you are a person of wisdom, you are genuine. The last verse. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. NIV says, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So here's the last image. Back to an agrarian culture. And the, the way the verse lays out here is a little difficult in the original language. Some people think it was a standalone kind of proverb. But here's the idea. It's got the idea of sowing seed. And every day we sow seeds, right? With our mouth, with our faith, with our religion, and with our wisdom. And we, we have a chance to throw out seed into the soil. And there it goes. So Monday through Friday, here's what we're doing. We're throwing it out. And if it's seeds of peace and seeds of righteousness, it produces what does seed produce? It goes into the ground and produces what? A crop. And so James' last image in a challenging section is this. He says, look, if you're a peacemaker and you sow in peace, or if you uh, cast seeds of peace around, the harvest is going to be righteousness. The harvest is going to be blessing. You sow the right kind of seed, you get the right kind of crop. Amen? That's what we're talking about. And the question that should be asked by any student of Scripture, including moi, is this. What kind of seeds do I throw out regularly? Are they edifying? Are they peace-loving? Are they righteousness? Are they wisdom? Are they holy? Are they equitable? Are they sincere? This is what James is asking you and me to look at. What kind of seeds are you throwing out because the seeds you throw out will determine the harvest. 
There's a one-to-one -one correspondence. It's called sowing and reaping. For whatever a man sows to, that he will also reap. And so Paul says, God is not mocked. Whatever you sow to, you'll reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life. And so this is the wisdom of Scripture. And we need it. We need to hear it. And then we need to apply it. The question at the end of the message would be, what's your yield? And so as you sow well, you will have an abundant harvest. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's, uh, it's deep and strong. It really makes us think about how we're living. And that was its intention. And we're so grateful that we could hear words of wisdom. You gave us ears to hear. But there's a different way of hearing that you said often. You said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's one thing to hear. It's another thing to really hear. And I know this room is filled with a lot of sincere hearers who want to do, who want to heed and do what you say. And thank you for the positive fruits, Lord. We can celebrate so many people have been touched by the word of God and their families, their businesses, their life, their marriage are reaping the fruits. And then there's, there's those that are in this room today and man, it's been tough. And the seeds that have gone out recently have produced a really prickly, difficult, weedy harvest. And so Lord, if that's the case, I pray that the weeds could be pulled out and a new harvest can be planted. Thank you that you give us so many wonderful chances to get this right. There are new seasons, new seasons to plow and to prepare soil and to get the right seed and try again. Thank you that you're that kind of God of grace, that you give us that opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to keep your head and heart bowed and just do a little bit of uh, contemplation, a little bit of meditation on God's word. Just let him speak to your heart about what you've heard, how he might have you respond. And Lord, as people are thinking about how they're going to respond to your word and meditating on your word, I just pray that you'd speak and speak life, speak encouragement. Maybe there's a challenge, maybe there's an exhortation. With your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Jesus yet, if you don't know this King of Peace, the King of Wisdom, if you haven't met Him, the first thing that you need to do is trust Him. Trust Him for your salvation. Believe in His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Ask Him into your life. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Maybe you need to rededicate right now. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Pray it if it's you. I believe you came into this world you died on that cross for me because you loved me. You rose from the dead to defeat death. You nailed my sins to that cross. And that's why I can live. I trust you as my Lord, my Savior, my King, my friend. Change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. 
And Lord, for this precious congregation, may you just bless them, keep them. May your beautiful face shine upon them. May you give them wisdom for the week ahead. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.